0: This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, Patrick McEnroe here, Holding Court, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time, welcoming a man I look up to in many, many ways, in addition to his work as an actor, producer, etc. He is a huge tennis fan, also a podcast maestro with his show, Here's the Thing, the one and only Alec Baldwin. Welcome, young man.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you. And, uh, you know, people know you for many things, of course. As uh, my 11-year-old daughter mentioned, uh, what's what's the baby movie coming up again? Boss Baby. Boss Baby. Is there a second one coming out, right? Boss Baby. Boss. Boss baby, which is like the Citizen Kane of children. <laughs> oh, no, great. Job. So, so there's that, and then there's my oldest daughter, who's just turning 14, actually today. Who said, "Isn't he the guy oh, that?" Wow, happy yeah, birthday! Yeah, yeah. Well, be, my wife Melissa, who you know well, is throwing a drive-by party during this quarantine. <laughs> so we're having all her friends come by driving by. My but she, she she knows you as the guy who does Donald Trump impersonations, which you've made uh, famous on Saturday Night Live. But I want to talk to you today about your interest and all you've done for the tennis world, particularly at the U.S. Open, and sort of how that came about and why it came about, Alec.
1: Well, you know, um, someone once said to me, I guess it was my ex-wife, Kim Basinger, her dad, her family, they were all big tennis players, and her father once said to me, he said, and he did play till much later in life, he passed away a little while ago, but he played doubles and he would hit the ball with friends and, until he was into his 80s, you know, and he was a real tennis fan. Her brother, Mick, played at, uh, I, I can't remember if he played at Florida State, but he played somewhere for a little while. Anyway, they were big tennis fans and uh, 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 very look, uh, hooked into the University of Georgia in Athens where <clears throat> Kim had donated money to put up some lights or something at the tennis center there. Anyway, he said to me, it's a game you can play for life. He said, this is a game you can play for the rest of your life. And obviously, you know, you're going to get to doubles at some point full time. But I just have always loved uh, uh, the fun of it, the social aspect and kind of ribbing people. And, you know, Lorne and I, Lorne Michaels has us come to his house in the summer and play. And uh, John Alexander, the painter John Alexander and I, I mean, if you were to record the things we trash talk to each other while we're playing <laughs> tennis, you wouldn't believe. Like, nothing could prepare you for how horrible it is what we say to each other when we play tennis. But um, and, I'm, and, and as you well know, <clears throat> with people, it's like you don't have to be good to have fun. You know, I mean, I'm not a good tennis player. I probably, uh, I, I always say the same thing. I warm up in June. You know, my body, I get my uh, timing down a little bit better and can play a little bit better in July. And by August, I can hit the ball fairly well at my level, and then I never play for the rest of the year. I just don't. I don't have time.
0: See, that's something we need to change. We need to get out to the yeah. McEn- McEnroe Academy. I wish I could.
1: Yeah. I, I, I really Once I, uh, uh, we come out of this whole thing, I decided I want to get myself a regular lesson like once a week for myself and just get that going because I do enjoy it so much. You know and I do it. Now, When you played, if I can ask you this question, sure. for somebody who's a professional, but you played this game at the highest level your whole life you and your whole family um, w- was it something where it was expected of you was it was it fun and it was always like fun and then it became super competitive or was it always like, this is like a legacy thing you know, in the macro family you got to pick this thing up and you got to get it on. Oh How no. Did it develop for
0: well, you? great good question, but this is my podcast, not yours. But uh, okay. we we um, we started on a uh, it was actually just dumb luck. And uh, you grew up in a similar area in Long Island. We were in Queens, which is basically on the border of Long Island and Douglaston. And John Yeah, no, I know. yeah John actually started um, hitting balls at our local club, the Douglaston club when he was about nine, which is pretty old to become a high level tennis player. Forget about number one in the world. So uh, the local kid was a college kid who was a local pro. And after a couple of months of my brother playing in the little tennis group, you could choose between swimming or sailing in that area or tennis. Um, My brother chose tennis because we liked all sports as kids. You and your brothers, I know did the same. I know your dad was a football coach, but um, he, the, the coach, the, the college kid came to my parents and said, your son is unbelievable, you know, hand-eye coordination. So that's when my parents had no idea, never played tennis in their lives, took us to a place called the Port Washington Tennis Academy, which was one of the first big sort of tennis academies. So that's how we got into it. But when you were growing up in Long Island in Massapequa, did you guys, you and your brothers ever play tennis or was it just more the, the organized team sports? <laughs>
1: Well, I always tell people that, you know, and this obviously everybody, you know, has neighbors like this and people they go to school with. But these two guys, the Luxinger brothers, Jimmy Luxinger and Jackie Luxinger. Mm-hmm. And I played football with Jackie Luxinger. He was, like a, he was like an Adonis. He was like chiseled out of marble, this guy. Super muscled up, strong, fast, shoot the basketball, hit the baseball, cross, football lettered in three sports, great athlete. His brother, Jimmy, was a little, a little leaner. And we were kids, and we came home, and we uh, saw a posting at this park near our house. We had a couple of really nice parks in our town in Mass people. And this park, Marjorie Post Park, which was huge. They had everything there. They had handball courts, and tennis courts, and swimming pools, and so forth. And um, we were there, and there was a sign that said tennis lessons. It was like you know, six bucks a lesson or five bucks a lesson times six lessons. It was like 30 bucks. And my dad, 30 bucks times two was like a fortune, you know. And we said, oh, they're giving these lessons up at the park. They might have been cheaper than that. And my dad comes home, and he hands us each a racket, you know, the old wooden Stan Smith racket. Right. And he hands us the racket, and he says, I'm going to tell you one thing. He goes, if you miss one class, he says, you're never going to play tennis again. Mm -hmm. Because you could tell he obviously – went to extraordinary lengths to get,
0: this, <laughs> to, get to the opportunity. Racket, you yes. Sounds like my and wife we Melissa. We the class yeah. with this
1: guy, and we just, um, you know, t- tennis was something where uh, uh, I just enjoyed it. I don't know what it is about I'm not a golfer. I don't like golf. I mean, I don't hate it. But I guess the fact that uh, uh, the psychologics of you, and again, I feel awkward saying this in front of you with your career, but like to me, that idea that you could literally be down six zero, six zero, five six, five zero, forty love, and technically you could come back and win. You know what I mean? If you can right. maintain your—I mean, it's obviously it's unlikely—but if you can maintain your equilibrium emotionally, if you can maintain your self-control emotionally, you can—you know—you have a chance of beating somebody who you're on the same level with. So I, I find that that's a big part of the, uh the, the mental aspect of the game, and not melting down when you're getting the crap
0: beat out of it. Is, is that, is that one of the things, Alec, that you enjoy about coming to the U S open? Cause obviously you're a frequent guest uh, of the opens. You're there every the opening night, every year. And you, Donate your time and your energy to the USDA Foundation, which I used to be president of, by the way, about 15 years oh, ago. Wow. Yeah, but Pam Shriver, I followed her and Mary Carillo has been there. So a lot of great tennis names. And I know about all the great work that that foundation does helping uh, tennis programs around the country, which are really based on education and giving kids an opportunity to use tennis as a vehicle. So what you've done there means a lot. You know, to the tennis community and to the USDA and to the foundation in general. But when you sit there in the president's box and you get to sit down and relax and watch the tennis, is it the mental side as well? Because I've spoken to a lot of actors. Uh, ben Stiller actually is a big tennis guy. And, and he talked a little bit with me about this, about, you know, being a great actor sometimes is about, is about reacting and listening. So, you know, tennis is a responsive type of game as well, in addition to the mental side. Is that what intrigues you about it when you sit there and watch at the U.S. Open?
1: Well, I think that tennis in general, yes, the drama of it, you know, to see somebody, uh, 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 I mean, in all professional sports, although again, uh, you, you can bet differently in terms of what's likely to happen. But it's like in the NFL. Any given Sunday, somebody can come in and They could beat Brady in the Patriots if they, you know, if they if they got their act together. Uh, a, a, a guy that's uh, or a woman or a man who is not that highly seated or high that uh, hasn't had that much success in tennis could upset a great player if, uh, you know, they uh, they got everything clicking and they maintained control of themselves, emotion. If they told themselves they could win. If they dreamed that dream, then they could beat uh, uh, Serena or this one or that one. And uh, uh, I I love that. Then the U.S. Open is just in a different world because that, you know, the summer's over. It's back to school. We all head into the city. And those two weeks in September, um, you know, some years the weather has been warmer and more summer-like. And other times we get toward the end of the tournament and people are wearing sweaters and it gets a little more fall-like. And There's just no more beautiful evening than to go to those great matches at night or even during the day. I I love going to that facility. I love being a guest at the USTA. I'm very much their guest there, and they uh, welcome me and give me tickets to come there. Uh, My my relationship with them started when those games were on USA Network and CBS. And I used to do uh, voiceovers for their commercials. And Mm -hmm. I, I started by doing voiceovers. And I just said to them one time, is there any way you could help me get tickets? And I I meant that literally. I was happy to buy the tickets, and they said, "Oh no, 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 no! Come as our guest and come to the uh, to the president's suite and so forth." And it just that was like back in '92. So I just ever since then I've been coming
0: whenever I was around. Well, I know, I know that uh, they and, and we in the tennis world appreciate, and I have, to, I have to say this, this is not just blowing smoke up your derriere, Alec, but I, I know you also through my wife, Melissa Erica, who's a singer and an actor, and you guys have worked together before, but I also know how committed you are to so many causes throughout, particularly New York. Obviously, you have your own foundation through your mom, which is amazing, but there's so many things that you do that no one knows about you know, showing up at our local church. I remember you did years ago down in, uh, on Mulberry Street, which I, which I found out that years later, you ended up actually getting married there with your current wife, Hilaria. Yes, 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 isn't, yes, yes. isn't that an amazing church? The old St. Patrick's yeah, the Cathedral. the old St. Patrick's yeah.
1: Cathedral, where most people, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, they know old St. Patrick's Cathedral from um, the, uh, that's where the, uh, uh, the big finale of the Godfather takes Right. So uh, yeah, Old St. Patrick's Cathedral is where I got married. That's where my wife and I
0: got. Married. But you came there uh, just to, as a friend, and you know the church was in need of 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 someone to host an event, and you you do things like that all the time. So why do you give? Why do you give your? Because I know you I mean you get so many things going on, obviously, and you continue to do that that most people have no idea about. Why is that?
1: Well, I think that the. Um, um, <clears throat> you know, the work I do, there was a period of my life where uh, on a variety of levels, and I think a lot of people in the movie business, you know, when I made mostly films in the 90s and so forth is when I I did next to no television and, and shot films and would travel all over the place. I was in Canada, I was in every corner of the United States. I was, I'd go to Europe or what have you, and uh, I remember one time, you know, my mail would get i get my mail sent from New York, uh, and, and I'd be looking through my mail, and I'd open up a, 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 an envelope, and uh, you know, I, I would realize from the card enclosed that I, I missed the Bacon exhibit at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Francis Bacon exhibit, was mm-hmm. enclosed while I was on the road making this film. And my whole life during that decade of the 90s was just filled with that. I missed this confirmation and this graduation and this thing for people and this party or event or what have you <clears throat> and um, chances to help people with causes that I really really believed in and um, uh, I remember that as I started to work less I just I, I, in, in that period all I did was work I just lit one off the other and uh, I worked constantly for ten years and then as I slowed down I did thirty rock and we were in New York for. Seven years doing that, and I had some days off, and I just really wanted to be able to help people beyond giving money. My wife and I have a charitable foundation where we give money to uh, uh, different causes, but uh, the um, uh, and you know most of it arts related. There are some things that are um, there are some things that are uh, 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 you know universities. Our alma mater is NYU. Both of us for Environmental, but most of it's for the arts. And uh, yeah, I'm somebody who never really wanted to do this for a living. I thought I would go into politics. I wanted to go to law school. Well, like you still GW. might.
0: You still might, right?
1: Well, no, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, My wife told me she would divorce me.
0: Okay, all right. Well, you yeah, got I'm what you, and you? You yeah. got four kids with your current wife, and they're all under six, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so you got your hands full. Yeah. How's that homeschooling but, working I mean, out? I just
1: wanted to really. Uh, um, I wanted to. Um, uh, you know, help people just beyond giving them money. So I, I went through a period where I did a lot of that. I mean, I was cutting every ribbon and functioning as the auctioneer and so right. forth. And, uh, but, but now I really, um, uh, I do even a little bit less of that. I got remarried, as you mentioned, and I, and I got four kids.
0: Yeah, you got your hands it's full, as really, I said. Really, oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah. You, it sounds like you wanted to make up for lost time, the fact that you were away from New York, away from your roots for so long, and you mentioned 30 Rock, and you, obviously your character there is, is, is famous, and you won multiple awards for Jack Donahue, and it, it reminds me of you mentioning that of our, our, our mutual friend of the both of ours, Marcy Klein, who I know worked with you on that show She's a great TV producer. She worked for SNL for years and years with Lauren. And I know, and she's told me just, you know, uh, from a personal standpoint, I, I play with both of her sons, by the way, who are, who are very right. high-level junior tennis players. And Marcy right. says, we were talking about you, and I said, you know, Alec does so much, and he showed up in my wife Melissa's, uh, when she got her, 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 her portrait at Sardi's, and Alec made sure he was there, and it meant it really did mean a lot to my wife, that you showed up for that and took pictures and were there for that moment for her. And Marcy tells me the same thing. You've showed up at her kids' tennis tournaments over the years as well. She's an old pal of mine. She's yeah. a
1: very dear friend of mine. And uh, I, that, that was easy. The, the one I enjoyed doing recently because, you know, a lot of times people want to, um, uh, uh, they want, to you know, they ask me, and and you kind of get into a rotation with them where they think this is an annual thing, which is <laughs> right, fine. I mean, right. everybody, everybody. I'm sure you have the same thing in your world, and they and they 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 write you down where every June you're going to come to the fundraiser in Bridgehampton or what have you and right. buy a table or whatever. And, I, and I'm I'm I don't, I don't I understand that. I mean, they they need money, but at the same time, um, uh, I, I I get a little. Uh, you know, as years have gone by, I'm older now, and, and I, I got a little wary of that. So when Melissa's father asked me to do the piano fest thing...
0: Oh my gosh, right. Unbelievable. When I went
1: to go do the piano right. thing out at Southampton, <laughs> right. man, I really, really, really enjoyed that. What a lovely guy he is,
0: her dad. Yeah, so he's a great... He, that's how she got into singing and get into music, and, and Michelle Legrand and that connection, and Alan Bergman, by the way, who's one of the great lyricists of all time. I did my second podcast with him, alec he's 94 and his story about how he got into tennis because he's a big tennis player i started playing with him when he was in his 70s he was a jewish kid grew up in brooklyn you'll appreciate this he went all the way to forest hills when the u.s it wasn't called the u.s open u.s national championships were played there because he wanted to get a racket because at prospect park where he went with his dad he couldn't get a racket uh, couldn't find a good racket, so he took the bus, the subway, etc., all day to get to West Side Tennis Club in Forest Hills. He said, "I'd like to be a ball boy." And the then yeah. the gentleman the gentleman came who was in charge. He said, "Please, could you find the man in charge of hiring the ball boys?" This was in the summer, in the, the you know the late thirties, I guess it was, maybe the early forties. And the, the, but
1: also that thing about that tennis role, by the way, that I don't want to leave out is all the wonderful people that I've met, you know, not all of those stars of the tennis world are created equal. You know, so what I meet, you know, mm-hmm. when I met, uh, Navratilova and, uh, Billy Jean King, obviously, and, you know, the biggest names and, uh, uh, um, Chrissy and people like that who, uh, I mean, they, they, they didn't, uh, you know, I'm not a tennis player. I It wasn't necessary for them to be that, uh, uh, warm or kind to me, but, uh, they were always, Lovely people that we'd meet at that dinner and at the event afterward. I mean, some of them, I'll never forget. I won't name names, but I'll never forget. (laughs) One guy is coming out of, like, the tunnel to come out to this uh, uh, pro-celebrity thing. Uh, There was a guy, I doubt you remember this because I think you're too young, but um, there was a guy years ago named Clyde Deneer, and he owned Mm -hmm. a jewelry company on, on Long Island. And he used to host an event at the old West Side Tennis Club, the old Forest Hill. Right. He hosted a pro-celebrity thing with American Express for juvenile diabetes. And he would fly in these pros and all these. Uh, I mean, I couldn't believe, uh, like, the, he, he had a crowd. And this was before some of this pro-celebrity thing was as big as it was. I think it was like the mid-'80s we did this, you know, many, many years ago. And one famous there. <laughs> And I'm standing there, like just idle, and uh, you know, having a cup of coffee or something. And they're coming out. This the, the tennis pros are coming out, and this little boy holds up, uh, like this young boy, maybe ten years old, holds up a picture or something for this guy to sign. And he literally just shoved the kid. Out. <laughs> he like took his arm and like oh shoved him out of the way, like like get out of my way, kid. Come on, can't you see I'm making my entrance here? Right. And I thought, well, well, we have that in my business too. Yes. We have, uh, not all of them are. Uh, that Pleasant, or will Rogers,
0: so right? To speak. So and and, you've, and 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 you've you've had you've had to deal with the uh the, the the paparazzi, my brothers had to deal with them over the years, too. And you know, you you mentioned earlier about sort of watching the tennis players and the great players, whether it was in, in my brother's day in Borg, who was the the, the Iceman, and obviously John had, dare I say, a more similar personality to yours, Alec, could get could get a little you know, a little a little pissed off when someone got in his face. So I, I'm guessing your appreciation for dealing with the stuff that goes on sometimes in a big time tennis match you can probably relate to.
1: Well I think that you know, as I said to people before, you know, when whenever I've had people um bring that up and suggest that to me, I've always said the same thing, which is that when people are um, when they 're fifty feet away across the street with a long lens, I never have a problem with them ever mm-hmm. never i'm not i 'm not sprinting across the street and attacking somebody who 's fifty feet away from me and who's keeping the what i think is the appropriate distance the guy that 's in front of my building the guy that 's at my front door and who practically chips my wife 's teeth with his lens as he tries to shove it in her face that 's a different story right and i, I i've had the um, I have made the mistake of deciding in the moment that i 'm going to make my own rules in that situation, and whatever the law says is a mere suggestion of <laughs> <laughs> and i 'm going to do whatever I need to do to uh, uh, make everything um, comfortable for everybody and 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 and, and uh, you know, and, I, and, I, and it 's got me in a lot of trouble from time to mm-hmm. time, but i don 't think it was ever i think whatever people have suggested that to me what, what was difficult for me was um, that uh, uh and it was never unprovoked. I
0: should say. Well, that's. I think that's one of the reasons why you're you're beloved in many parts of the world and the country, but particularly in New York, Alec, because you've got that New Yorker attitude. I remember sitting at the table. <laughs> I remember sitting at the. <laughs> is that uh, what the, it is? Yeah. Well, that's part it of it? On New York. Okay, what,
1: I'm going to do that from now
0: on. You could try that because blame it on New York. Because my big brother, you had his run-ins, of course, with the press and uh, et cetera. And I remember sitting at the t- dinner table. And, he, and my dad saying, and my dad was a pretty intense guy, an Irish Catholic, you know, grew up with nothing in the city, single child, made his way to give us the opportunity to, to play tennis, for example. Um, and he used to say, John, why do you, why do you have to do that? You know, can't you keep it under control? And John, you know, that, that would be the tone of voice he would use. So I'd sit there and be saying to myself, maybe that's why John loses it a little bit too. Well, you understand. Well, it's
1: funny. It's 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 funny that uh, um, the uh, um, you know your brother. It's it's like some people they uh, um, they have a tough time negotiating with all in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, your brother obviously is the elder statesman now, and he's adored by everyone. And he lets all those jokes roll off his back. You know, you can't be serious. How many times does? John McEnroe have uh, the guy driving the UPS truck, the <laughs> cop on a right. horse, right. or uh, you know, the little girl getting a lollipop. Say you can't be serious, mm-hmm. and he's endured this for decades, and he's made peace with that, and he's you know uh, uh, adored by everybody. But in the beginning, it's tricky because uh, just the attention, you know, just the weird, and it's times ten now because everybody has a phone in their pocket. Right. Remember the old days when people had an instamatic camera, and you had to frame the picture and tell people to stand still. And you had to go develop the film. You didn't want to waste the shots. Now people are all like taking pictures of my wife and I while we're eating our dinner, you know, so it's-
0: And they could be anyone at this point. Yeah, you just have to, right. you just have,
1: you just have to really, really put up with a lot. I think, But uh, anyway, but, but 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 I'm always reminded it does come to
0: the territory. It well, listen, to territory. listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go with this with this last thought. And again, to appreciate what you're doing, you know, I've been following you during this pandemic and the things you're putting out there, whether it's classical music and your love for the arts. And your here's the thing, which I actually listened to the one you just came uh, that just came out with Daryl Hall. And I'll I'll leave you with this. And I was a huge rock fan in the, in the 80s, you know, U2, the police, et cetera. But every night, I remember when I was a freshman at Stanford, where I went, luckily enough, on a tennis scholarship, uh, when I'd go to bed at night, I would take the headphones and I would put in a little Sarah smile. And so it brought me back when I heard your your podcast with the He's great Daryl Hall. Um, yeah. Amazing. Absolutely He's amazing. Yeah, and you do a, an amazing job on that.
1: How, well, I got one last question for you. How many years did you do Davis Cup?
0: I was a captain for ten years, which is the longest uh, run of any uh, Davis Cup captain ever in U- U.S. So what history. What
1: was the greatest part of that for you? What did you love most about it? You know, I
0: love most. I mean, winning it was great in two thousand and seven. But I have to admit, uh, the the experiences of going—you talked about traveling the world. Uh, we've been lucky enough to do that. Go to, we played in Serbia against Novak Djokovic. We played at the, at the, the home of Roland Garros in the semifinals, lost to France so there. We're playing in Spain in front of what that time was the largest crowd ever in a soccer stadium in Seville in the Davis Cup final. And they had a young guy who wasn't expected to play as a teenager, and he turned out to be a pretty good clay court player by the name of Rafael Nadal. So so those experiences, uh, Alec, I, I always say it was it was the journey, you know, more than more than the, you know, the win in 2007 when we won it out in Portland, Oregon was great because it was a culmination of a long journey with, you know, James Blake, Marty Fish, the Bryan brothers, Andy Roddick, all guys that were in it for the long haul. So to me, that that was what made it so special.
1: Well I got to say uh, uh I know you want to wrap up but I just got to say that you know when I got into that world as a as a visitor you know I mean I was there in the uh, in those rooms with all those championship players and celebrities who would come to the match and uh, uh and it was just such a great a uh, couple weeks there at the Open in New York it's my favorite event of all it's so relaxed and such a nice crowd of people. But but all of those people say the same thing. They all they always comment how much you have done for tennis and how much you've given back to tennis. They talk about you that way all the time. They're very very proud of your accomplishments on behalf of tennis with Davis Cup and so forth.
0: Well, you know what, Good Alec, I appreciate that, and I wish my parents were alive to hear that because they were they loved Davis Cup and and instilled in us how important it was to represent a team and.
1: Your oh, they, oh, oh yeah. they know. Yeah. Whenever I was around your parents, they couldn't shut up about bragging about <laughs> you and your brother.
0: Well, some things never change. With endless. You, yeah, you know how that is with you and your brothers. And oh, your, yeah. And your with mom. your mother and yeah. father,
1: it was like it was yeah. endless. Yeah. You pressed the button and your mother went on and on and on about how great you and your brother are.
0: Well, someone, I has, get it. someone has to do it, Alec. Listen, I appreciate you doing this for me and for all you do for tennis and for Uh, all the the causes you give to and taking the time to come out with me. I very, very much appreciate it. Thank you.
1: My pleasure, buddy. We'll talk to you. Give my best to your wife and I'll talk to you soon. You
0: got it. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Take care.
0: Bye. Alec Baldwin, everybody. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.